Welcome everyone to episode six of Mixtape Memories. Memories. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. Yes. <laughs> so this is an all Smiths and Morrissey and Johnny and Andy and everything <laughs> Smithsy. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a tongue twister. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, episode. Yes. Yay. Um, I'm Jenners. I'm Matt Hart Spade. And we're excited to talk to you about, uh, you know, our love for the Smiths and all things Smiths related. Yes. Um, when did you first kind of fall in love? You know, I got turned on to them like late, I think, you know, I might have mentioned this in a previous in in the origin episode, but like of seeing like Morrissey on MTV. And so it was like during his like solo release years and um, people going crazy for him, like Mm -hmm. he was like part of the Beatles or something. And I the whole time I was like who is this guy? I don't even know who this guy is, but he's so popular. And that just made me kind of like dig deeper into like, okay, well, who is this guy? Why, why are all these people going crazy over him? And yeah, I guess that led me to learn that he was, you know, the Smith legend, legendary Mm -hmm. front man, uh, the Smiths and, uh, like realizing that a lot of those, Smith songs were on mixtapes that I got in mm-hmm. high school, so mm-hmm. that I actually did know him, but like didn't know like the full kind of thread, I guess, into his solo career. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What about you? How'd you? Find um. It? Well, I I feel like I briefly mentioned it in a previous episode, but a friend. Long story short, a friend put a Smith or a couple Smith songs on a mixtape for me, and then I just really kind of fell hard. Um, but what I that was around 1999, I would say. Mm. And what I did, I pretty much was a instant con you know i was converted instantly i should say yeah. uh and what i did was i went backwards from there so i went back all the way into obviously the smith's catalog and then all the morrissey solo albums up to that point so maladjusted 97 and then backwards 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 um and yeah i, I don't even know where to begin because this is pretty much my favorite artist of all time um and my favorite band of all time so yeah, it's many, kind of like where do you begin? Have you seen I've seen Morrissey <laughs> twenty times in concert. That's two, impressive. I have two Morrissey Smiths related tattoos. Um, uh, he means, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting time actually to be a, a Morrissey fan because lately he said some things that I really don't agree with mm. um, politically and, yeah. and and his views on other things that um. I feel like before we dive too deep into this episode, I just want to say like I I'm not down with that whole thing, sure. but his, at the same time everything that he has put out as you know with the smiths and solo has meant so much to me over the course of my life that i i can't disconnect you yeah. know um so yeah i just want to say like whatever he's saying now like kind of tune it out he's an old crazy person <laughs> i feel like he always does crazy stuff and people just tune it out because yeah. the music is so good <laughs> exactly so um that's that's the vibe i'm taking here as well in this episode but uh uh I, I really don't even know where to begin. His music means everything to me. Um, it has been there for me when I was really down, when I was really upset, when I was really sad, when um, I was realizing who I was as a person. Um, and, you know, I, I've grown with it. I've danced to it. I've I've everything. So mm. um, when I see him live, I kind of it's a euphoric thing for me. 
Um, I'm almost always in the front and I'll wait outside for hours to get that handshake or that that stare from Ooh. him. So, yeah. Uh, so you've gotten the handshake? I have gotten the handshake <laughs> a couple times. Actually, the first time I got it, I remember like, like, sh- like I was shaking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Is it, it like a warm handshake or is it like? Well, you have to keep in mind, everybody's reaching for it. So mm. it's kind of a shared handshake. Gotcha. So it's almost like four strangers and, <laughs> and Morrissey. Actually, I do. Rec- this is so specific, but it's kind of funny. I remember the first time I finally was able to get the hand, um, <laughs> the claw. Uh, I got it. This is so funny. I got his pinky. I remember. <laughs> And he had like this big stupid ring on. And oh um, I feel like I almost like I was so I was like holding on to it so tightly as if a baby were holding on to it. It's like mother's <laughs> finger. <laughs> I, I almost like took the ring. <laughs> like I almost took the Pope's ring. <laughs> oh, my God. So it was, it was a moment. <laughs> but I want to say uh, and, and then we'll go further into the music. But uh, one really funny moment. It was actually my very first Morrissey concert. I saw him. Uh, like I said, I got into him around 99, 2000. And the first Morrissey show I saw was at the Apollo Theater when he did a residency there in 2003. It was mm-hmm. just before the release of um, You Are the Quarry, which was his big comeback oh, album yes. after disappearing Definitely for like seven that years. One. <laughs> yeah. Um, with First of the Gang to Die and Irish Blood, English Heart. That's a really good album. Um, and it was, I think it was just before the album came out. He was kind of previewing tracks. Anyway, amazing show. I somehow ended up third row seats. It was great. I was so moved. He did a couple Smith songs. Anyway, end of the show, as he typically does, he throws the shirt out and it's a mad frenzy. Um, (laughs) And, you know, he he threw it out actually very close to where I was sitting because I was third row center and it traveled. It was a couple feet from me. I saw people, you know, really like... Like the look in their face, I'd never seen anything like that before. It was frightening. It was like wild animal or something. <laughs> okay. And I was like, what? These people are crazy. And I remember I was watching them fight over this. Uh, he was wearing like a long sleeve button down, like a forest green uh, dress shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, these people are crazy. It's like this nasty, sweaty shirt he just threw into the crowd. And I was watching them <laughs> and I was walking out of the venue. And then just before I was about to leave the venue, I was like, yeah, I'm going to join them. <laughs> so I went down there and they're still pulling at it. Nobody had gotten anywhere. And I don't remember if it was me or someone else, but they got someone eventually got a key out and we split up the shirt. So we all got a part of it. So I still have a piece of it. Wow. <laughs> so kind of sick, actually. Everybody took a piece of this shirt, like the Berlin Wall. Yeah, everyone did. And we all kind of split it fairly evenly. So I just have to say kudos to people for not ripping each other's throats out <laughs> and actually being fair and human about it, because it didn't seem like that was going to be the case. Uh, but in the end, uh, everything went smoothly. And I walked away with a sweaty, smelly piece of Morsey shirt. Amazing. <laughs> and by the way, yes, I still do have it. I don't I don't know what I'm ever going to do with it, but I do still have it. I was not going to throw that away. You got to get it framed. Yeah, I guess something. so. I guess so. <laughs> anyway, sorry to go on a little journey there, but uh yeah, I have uh, all that to say, I have very deep feelings f- for him and um and his music has really guided me in a way that no one else really has. Mm. It's it's interesting that like an artist can affect you in so many ways, even when they go solo too. like when they go from being in a band and then kind of evolving so much, Um, because I feel like what do you think of like more current 
McCurrent Morrissey. Morrissey stuff um, versus... Hit and miss. Yeah. Yeah, hit and miss, but at the same time, I kind of force myself to listen to it, and obviously I go to all the local shows that he does. Um, yeah. But, you know, some of it is not so fantastic. Right. You know, I, I fully will I think it would that. be hard to, like, just keep churning out, you know, hit after hit after hit mm-hmm. after, you know, being so famous and um, all of your songs, like, having such uh, personalities and then maybe something happens to an artist once they like experience a certain level of success mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so like maybe, you know, uh, they would have to like really dig deep maybe into their eccentricity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, to, to really kind of churn out some quality art <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after being so famous. I would think it's so hard for, for anybody, uh, any of the, the Smiths offshoots, not just Morrissey. Johnny Marr, very yeah. prolific. He really, yeah. He Johnny has done all sorts of stuff, and um, I, uh, it's. I feel like it's almost always great. I mean, he at the end of the day, not only is he a super cool person, and I think we've both had conversations with him, which we'll get into. But uh, he has a very signature sound, a signature style, um, and everything that he's brought to modest mouse the cribs his solo work um electronic back in the day the smiths like it's it's always great yeah you know? i mean you can't um teach that kind of coolness no like this inherent coolness to know what sounds good mm-hmm. i think that's like a gift i think he was super gifted i think also when the smiths were first forming uh, he was maybe 19 or something and and was able to create these melodies like even when you think of the opening riff to this charming man or something it's so it was so memorable and mm. so poppy and obviously that you know so many of these songs now are really iconic and and um yeah yeah, yeah. i know i was watching this interview he was doing uh i think it was from like last year and he was talking about i think he said he started like when he was 15 mm. and that he knows he has a sound because everyone keeps telling him he has a sound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so like, but he did kind of create that sound that these like legendary songs live in. Yes, you know? yes. And um, that's definitely like no small feat, you know, to like become known for something. And that's maybe why he has such longevity. Mm hmm. In his career, I mean, he still looked he still looked really young. Actually. He looks great. I mean, <laughs> Morrissey aged terribly if we're talking about <laughs> right. physically. Um, but Johnny, Johnny Marr looks, looks great. Fucking cool, yeah. dude. Yeah, he does. <laughs> like, I was like, uh, wow. How do you just? Maybe it's like his chill attitude. You know, he just always so seems so chill. Mm-hmm. I think he's an easygoing guy, and I think that's why it was an interesting dynamic with Morrissey and with with the mm. other guys as well. Because Morrissey is obviously so in his own planet, uh, and Johnny Marr is so uh, down to earth that it's it was interesting, you know. Yeah, it's quite 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 a weird thing to have them in the same room interacting. Yeah, and the, you know, up until a few years ago, they were back in touch, mm. uh, and then there were actually discussions of doing some like some Smith shows. I mean, that would be incredible. Uh, Could you imagine? But then, of course, like it fell through because as most things do with Morrissey, he pisses someone off and then it. Yeah. 
it's very difficult to get along with him. If you if you look at all the band members, all the producers, all the everyone he's worked with over the last 30 years, 35 years, 37 years, whatever it's been, it, it's a rotating cast. He's he's challenging. Do you think that there could be like a, a magic number, though, that would just cause him to like not argue with someone? <laughs> like Be like, OK, well, I'm going to try my best to make this happen, like some giant dollar amount. Or do you think he's just always he's like the personality where it's always just whatever he wants to do, he's going to do? I think it's definitely the latter. It's yeah. whatever he wants to do. And, um, you know, I think also if there ever if a Smith's tour or even a big one-off show somewhere in Manchester uh, were to happen ever, it wouldn't be the Smith songs necessarily that you want to hear too. Mm. It's going to be whatever he feels like. Sure. You know, good uh, point. <laughs> and he's not going to let Johnny Marr dictate the set list. He's not going to let the producer, he's not going to let the booker, nobody. It's going to be what he wants. That seems like difficult. Like, yeah, you know, like that, that makes it like, well, maybe it won't happen ever. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it ever will happen. Every, you know, like everybody else will have to like give in to like and just be like, OK, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a shame. I mean, hopefully maybe one day he'll chill out. Maybe I think will. the older he gets, the more cranky he's become, <laughs> you know, and the more kind of. I don't know. The more he pisses off even more people. You know when it's going to happen when he becomes like a hologram? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's when I'll stop going to the show. <laughs> when it's Marcy the hologram. <laughs> but, no, but then you'd actually get to maybe play the songs or you'd hear you re could request songs yes. and maybe he would never even fathom playing now. Yeah, you know? I'm sure. Yeah, there's probably tons. He'll, yeah, he'll just be like, nope. <laughs> no, there are certain ones that you would want to hear, um, particularly some of the bigger singles that he will never touch again, you know, so just what is what it is. And then there are certain ones that are constantly play. like I feel like over the last 20 shows I've seen um, almost every single show has had How Soon Is Now. Not that I mind, but and mm. obviously that's such a great single, but yeah. it's not the only single. You know? No, maybe it's the only one he can stand. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Anymore. So at least it's a good one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it'll ever happen, you know. I um, can't see it happening. Yeah. And definitely if it were to ever happen, it never will happen with Andy or Mike. Oh, there, yeah. You know, if you recall, there was a whole lawsuit in the 90s and Morrissey lost the lawsuit um, regarding the Smiths royalties mm. and he's been bitter since then for 25 years it'll never happen it's really hard when like you know the members don't get along because yeah. then I feel like it kind of ruins the yeah you know, the potential to like recapture those moments yeah. like live just like never it's never gonna happen artists being picky about what they want to play live is like such a typical artist thing mm -hmm. i feel like even like if you're a nobody band like you <laughs> bands for some reason they just get sick of playing the same songs over and over again so they'll be like they'll insist on like no i want to play the new songs mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then it's always like the manager or the agent or somebody around them who's like nobody wants to hear your new songs no <laughs> uh, you know they want to hear the hits of uh, course you know, unless I, you're and, Prince or something. <laughs> but I get why that's frustrating as an artist. But at the same time, you have to at least give the people that are spending all this money something to hold on to. Yeah. You know, I um, think so, so too. it's a little bit of a push and pull. 
Yeah. I mean, I saw like the B-52s uh, once in my life and it was like at some whatever big festival kind of atmosphere and they just released a new album. And, mm-hmm. But I was still like thinking, oh, they're going to play some old songs. Well, of course. You know? And I don't think they played a single <laughs> Wow. You, no, no, nothing. I think it was like all like new songs and I was like what like nobody wants to uh, that's not why <laughs> nobody wants to hear these songs no offense like they're probably fine but you know like when you're at a festival like in a foreign i think it was like in spain uh this festival and like there's forty thousand people who probably only know your hits <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you know they don't want to hear the new songs no i think marcy played that festival too oh really and he made some joke i remember he made some joke um Oh, like I'm number, you know, 20 on your, you know, some like low number on their like local ch- music charts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's obsessed with the charts. He's always been obsessed. You know, it's funny. He does. He so there's like some fan run. Uh, there are a couple fan run sites, but there's one in particular that kind of tracks every time he will say something or whenever, whenever something trends or any any sort of Morrissey moment. And he is so obsessed with the charts that he, that uh, well, Morrissey, I mean, that he will put something on his official site or get his nephew to tweet something what? that literally that uh nephew is oh, I, by the way i've interviewed the nephew before he's like his <laughs> photographer and videographer who's not very good but it doesn't matter um anyway but he'll, it'll be like this single debuted at number three in the uk this week and it's like who cares <laughs> <laughs> on the vinyl charts only you know well he comes from the days where that like actually yeah. mattered i think yeah. but these days it's like it doesn't, uh, it matter. doesn't matter. It's like, how many spins did you get on, you know, exactly. Spotify? <laughs> I don't think he ever will accept that, though. No. You know. Could you choose between those two? Between Johnny and Morrissey? Yeah. yeah I, would, I, mean, I would have to choose Morrissey. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it, it, I have to choose Morrissey just because of, of, obviously, the lyrics and the vocals and, and what he means to me. But Johnny is a genius. Yes. You know, um, and I think who I would rather have dinner with is, is definitely Johnny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I actually um, pulled up a couple references from the old blog uh, about Johnny Marr. Um, was like, I actually got really into like seeing him live um, mm-hmm. after I saw him with like uh, his band, The Healers, mm-hmm. and um, and. And just found that he had such like a magnetism. Uh, So I got kind of addicted to going to see him live for a little while. So here's one from uh, January 2003. Oh, my goodness. Way back. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, so uh, my early vlogging days. I took a quick glance at this entry and it's kind of everything. So because there's a sass and it's real good. All the things I forgot I sounded like. Okay, so here it goes. Peeps, <laughs> you are going to be so sad to hear this. I got to work this morning to find a message on my voicemail from Johnny Marr's publicist asking me if I wanted to grab drinks with them and maybe a bite to eat afterwards last night before the Barry show. <laughs> Unfortunately, because I took off of work yesterday, I didn't get the message until this morning when it was too late. <laughs> ah. <laughs> How fucked up is that? And I called her to see if it was for real, and it was. <laughs> 
When she called, uh, Johnny Marr and the healers were just about to play Letterman. How cool. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Johnny Marr is so hot. (laughs) This is where I start sounding like a teenager. He can sing and chew gum at the same time. (laughs) Side note. When asked what kind of gum he chews, he said airwaves gum. Like you want to know. He makes rock and roll seem so effortless. And when assholes in the crowd yell, some girls are bigger than others, he'll throw back. I never really knew what to say that to that either. <laughs> Why are a majority of his fans total fuck asses? I love that term. I think we need to bring that back. Yes. Fuck asses. <laughs> we found ourselves saying that all night <laughs> from the guys behind us who would talk loudly in Spanish saying things like, this song is so great because it has no bass and no piano and blah, blah, blah. One of said guys even asked me if I like the Smiths. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what do you think, asshole? (laughs) And then he asked me if I like the show, and I was like, yeah, except for the part where you're talking. (laughs) And he still continued to talk to me. Shut up! (laughs) This is still a problem in 2019, by the way. And the college gals... Uh, who showed up for the show were so lame. They couldn't sway to the music on the beat, and they said things like, let's go, Johnny. (laughs) And that was awesome, dude. Get over yourselves, gals. (laughs) You're not that cool. (laughs) Oh, my God. Why can't people just enjoy the music quietly? I don't think Johnny was very amused because when the girls reached out for his hand at the end of the show, he kind of just looked at them while he was taking off his guitar and then left the stage. I don't think he's a touchy-feely sort of guy. Anyway. <laughs> like, I know him. <laughs> I love that review. It <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, was definitely uh, a Johnny Marr moment. I have a Johnny story uh, before I get into this old yes. blog post of mine. But mine also is from the Bowery Ballroom. Oh, wow. Um, Johnny was playing at that point with the Cribs. And um, anyway, uh, it, the show was great. And afterwards, uh, I was told that he hangs out after the show and like chats with people. Um, and as you know, I've said, my connection with the Smiths is so strong that I didn't think I really wanted to meet Johnny Marr because I thought it would kind of ruin everything mm. or I would become a, a, a mess. Yeah. So but my friend that I was with said, listen, let's wait around and we'll talk to him and, you know, play it cool. And sure enough, he did come down and. Somehow I really did keep it together and oh, we wow. tried to buy him a drink, but I, I, I don't think he drinks. So he, he wanted an orange juice. I was like, okay, <laughs> so I got him an orange juice. Um, and we spoke to him for 10, 15 minutes and it wasn't at all like, tell me about the, you know, I wasn't at all kind of, um, yeah. gawking and being ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I shook his hand. No, fo- I didn't ask for a photo. Nothing, nothing to make him feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Just kind of like, oh, you bumped into us at the bar. We bumped into you. We yeah. just had a chat. Um, and then I left the venue and I started crying. <laughs> and then I got into a cab and I cried the whole way back to Brooklyn. <laughs> I was a mess. But I'm so glad that I didn't uh, that didn't come out when I was talking to him because I think that would have been incredibly embarrassing. Oh my um, but it was really a moment for me uh, to meet a Smith. And um, and uh, I, I really don't have the words for it. It was I, I was really touched. Yeah. You know? Um and, and you kept your cool. I kept my cool. And then he, many years later, he he actually, when was this? Maybe two, three years ago, um, just after the 2016 election, I remember, he released a book uh, kind of 
chronicling the whole Smith's journey up till present day. And he did a book event at Gramercy Theater. And I went and um, I met him again uh, briefly. And um, that time I did ask for a photo. <laughs> yeah. um, and he was he was super nice. He's always nice, you know. Yeah. He's a good that's, guy. That's like the vibe he gives off. Just yeah. like chill, very approachable in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when um, he was playing with Modest Mouse, um, like being backstage. I worked uh, worked for Modest Mouse's agent at the time. And we were backstage. And I just remember thinking, Isaac and Johnny Marr are like the same height. And they're shorter <laughs> than I thought. <laughs> But um, but like he was just like really chill and cool and nice, mm-hmm. and it was it was surprising to me. But yeah, I was yeah. still scared. I was like, I can't talk to him. I know, I know. <laughs> I pulled up a a blog entry from two thousand and when is this two thousand eight. Uh, so I've interviewed Andy Rourke, who was the basis in the Smiths, uh, a couple times. Um, I don't recall if this interview was over the phone or through email, but I think it was over the phone. And then mm. I transcribed it. Um, and he was really sweet. And uh, and I, I've met him as well a couple times. Uh, I actually DJed a, a Morrissey-related like birthday event. He oh, wasn't cool. there, of course. Um, and he, he DJed, and then I DJed in the other room. And I was like, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, anyway, he was nice and I want to say, yeah, he, he used, I'm not sure if he still does, but he used to live here and, and he was bouncing around from venue to venue. And a lot of times I feel like they were the same venues that we would go to. I mean, he had a radio show on like Eastfield radio of course. for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, like frequently DJed a lot. Yeah. You know? I remember I once tried to book him for a party and, but his, uh, his agent at the time asked for an obscene amount and I was like. Give me a break. Come on. Come on. I'm willing to give you X amount, but not X times 10. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this was um, an interview I did in the fall of 2008. And he, I, I don't even know if this album ever came out, but he was going to release an album with a band called Free Bass, which was him and Peter Hook from New Order. Oh, wow. And then some other random folks from like Stone Roses and stuff. That's cool. Um, And then... He was also doing something for CMJ. But anyway, of course, I had to throw in a couple of Smith's related questions. Uh, and anyway, one of them was about a, a documentary that had just come out called Inside the Smiths, which was pretty much just him and Mike Joyce, the drummer, uh, you know, their friendship through the years and how they've stayed close and and um, their relationship with the Smith's music now and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, I asked him about that and particularly their friendship. And he said, back when we started, I knew Johnny quite well. I knew Morrissey. I didn't know Mike. But as we were on tour, Morrissey kept to himself and Johnny was with his wife. Consequently, Mike and me began sharing hotel rooms together. We got to know each other and became close friends. At the moment, Mike's with a great new band called AutoCat comprised of youngsters by comparison me and mike are a couple of oldies so i guess he was being funny uh and then i asked him about his favorite smiths tracks which i think is really interesting to hear from someone who was in the smiths what is what his favorites were and he said to me that he's proud of all of them and he said i guess i'd pick rubber ring the headmaster ritual and how soon is now when i consider the back catalog i must say that we were quite prolific we were perfectionists about what we did not a single song was banged out lightly Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of cool to yeah, hear. Yeah, it is really cool. And then there was one more Smiths-related question. 
what did I ask? Oh yeah. I asked if um, like who else he's working with or how it's been working with various people. Because um, one thing that people might not know is that in addition to his DJing and, and whatnot, he did a lot of stuff behind the scenes with some notable names. Uh, so anyway, this was his answer. Chrissy Hine gets bad press, but when I worked with her, she was fantastic and passionate. Ooh. Yeah. She's a beautiful person. Um, you know, what's kind of interesting is that Morrissey is actually good friends with this. One of his very few friends is Chrissy Hine. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then he said, I had a great fun working with Morrissey. Sinead O'Connor is often portrayed as a crazy banshee, but she was great as well. <laughs> so, um, you know, he's pretty much you could tell the gist of this. He's a sweet guy. Yeah. You know? um, and I appreciated <laughs> that he brought up all the, you know, the Smith stuff. Yeah, and that, like, he just, like, generously answered, you know, mm-hmm. like, because I'm sure he gets asked all the time, but, you know, like, he still has, like, a connection to it. You could tell, like, yeah. it's like, yeah, I'm proud of it. Of course. Why wouldn't you be? Of course. <laughs> it's, like, so influential in so many ways. Um, I um, I got, when I was, like, uh, booking uh, this venue in Brooklyn, um, I got him... Uh, it was kind of like a co-headline show uh-huh. in a way with like this band real estate. And um, and that was, it was like this tiny, you know, 150 cap room in Brooklyn and um, n- cool bands like just didn't play there <laughs> that mm-hmm. much. And mm-hmm. I was like trying to figure out a way to like get this band I like to play. And um, I remember I emailed their agent and I was just like, would they do a show with Andy Warwick, <laughs> you know? Uh, hello, yeah. And they so they ended up doing this show together, and, and it was like real estate played, and then Andy Warwick, like, DJ. Mm. <laughs> and it was, like, so funny to, like, see who was in the room for each, yes, you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's actually kind of different. Crowds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would just remember setting them up, like, upstairs near the fireplace, and they had, like, dinner in the venue <laughs> together. <laughs> Oh, that's cute. So that's my Andy Work story. He's a good guy. I like him a lot. Revisiting that that interview I did with him, one of his picks was the Headmaster Ritual, which is the opening track on Meet is Murder, which I feel like yeah. should be one of the albums we talk about for repeat skip. For sure. Um, that was such a huge album. Yeah. Um, still sounds so great. Uh. And, you know, uh, I'm not sure if we're going to talk about the title track too much, but I feel like that song in particular really changed people's minds about uh, the way they eat, the way they view animals. And, um, you know, Morrissey got a lot of of, uh, crap for it, but I feel like I think it's ballsy that he not only named the album that not only put the song on the album, but also to this day plays that song very regularly. And uh, I don't know. I think it's kind of baller, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, regardless of your thoughts on on veganism and vegetarianism, I think it was a political statement, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of artists that are strongly pushing stuff like that, Mm -hmm. really. I mean, I can't think of any, you know, they might like live that way, but they're not certainly trying to push the idea and like convert people and like i mean you were saying marcy is very strict about stuff like that yes even when he performs right very strict i mean even down to you know he at this point now is uh vegan in the sense of like his full life is vegan so he wears you know um 
uh, plastic shoes that look like leather and whatnot. But but yeah, he's he's all the way. I mean, a couple years ago, there was a rider that leaked of his that um, that had like butter on it and milk and like people were freaking out because he was saying he was vegan. But it turns out, I guess he's partially vegan. But I think nowadays he's like full on. Right. But he's a super boring eater from what I understand. <laughs> it's like potatoes, <laughs> pasta and potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, who doesn't like potatoes? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've uh, ex- except for, I guess, people who uh, are on the no carb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like all carb diet, <laughs> which actually doesn't sound too bad. But maybe that's why he didn't age as well as Johnny. <laughs> but, you know, I think Johnny's actually vegan, too. Come to think of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah, going back to what you were mentioning, though, yeah, everyone in the touring band has to be uh, vegan as well. And also when he does an outdoor show, you know, with other acts on the bill, if it's like a big festival gig, he, there's a clause in the contract that says if there is even the smell of meat, he is not playing. And that really did happen about a decade ago, I want to say. Wow. I don't recall if it was Coachella, but I want to say it was Coachella that he was playing and then he smelled the meat and would like cut the set short and, and was really upset. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Some, somebody on the Barbie got fired that day. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And they're probably still telling that story. Like I pissed off more. <laughs> I was the one. I was the one. But that said, this album is so good. Um, and what was your repeat? Uh, you know, I chose uh, that joke isn't funny anymore. Mm. Actually, I love um, that track. You know, I, I don't. I just that stood out for me. Um, and uh, you know, I, uh, I kind of grew up, got into the Smiths. I think more in the era of like when like their greatest hits album came out, mm-hmm. like the two disc whatever greatest hits, and. Um, so I would say that like my memories of the Smiths are more like what was on that greatest hits more than what was on like um, this album mm-hmm. from the 80s, mm-hmm, you know, like, mm-hmm. and so um, so that one stands out a bunch. And um, I actually like um, ran into like an old blog post, <laughs> like the title of the post was uh-huh. uh, that joke isn't funny anymore. Um, and it was basically just me talking about um, like seeing music in the Lower East Side. And I was like living in Alphabet City and how I was like moving back to Williamsburg. And that was like a different kind of music scene. Mm-hmm. It was like I actually described Brooklyn as a chiller <laughs> music scene. <laughs> And uh, and that the Lower East Side was like more like kind of vibrant mm-hmm. and like more like fast paced, and um, I don't know if you could say that today. Like, what would you say? I don't. I don't even know. I think the scene has really gone all the way into Bushwick and Ridgewood. That yeah, I would. I can't even tell you of like a hip or up and coming venue on the Lower East Side or in Williamsburg, really. Yeah, you know? it's got to be somewhere like more underground. Yeah. yeah, so it's like it's definitely moving further into like the Ridgewood area. Yeah, um, and probably other places that we don't go to. Exactly, they're too far away. <laughs> they're too far away because <laughs> as like you know like areas gentrify yeah. and like yeah. the artists and the creative community get pushed out. Mm-hmm. I think you know it. It just gets pushed further and further mm-hmm. away 
Uh, and the older we get, the less in tune we are <laughs> with those. Yeah, areas. it's a combination. But you absolutely, know. regarding uh, gentrification, and and particularly uh, in the last few years, the city. Uh, that's a whole other topic, I guess. But uh, yeah, just everything that's being built and the people that are moving into New York now are n- mostly not creative people. It's like gross finance people and, and business people. And I don't know, it, it kind of it puts a sour taste in my mouth, yeah. you know, and you see a lot of people moving to L.A. and everywhere else. Yeah. You know, yeah, a lot. Um, well, not to get too off topic, yeah. <laughs> what was your repeat? Um, listen, I, I if if I didn't make it clear earlier, I pretty much love almost every single Smith and Morrissey song. <laughs> um, so it's you know these are like picking children in a sense. Um, but I would say um, one of the ones that I will never ever tire of on this album is "I Want the One I Can't Have." Just not only is it a great song to dance to, but um, I think that. It really describes that emotion when you just you're longing for someone and it's just not going to happen for one reason or the other. And you you don't want to give up hope, but you kind of have to. And, um, Mm. you know, um, I think there's a great line in the song where he's talking about how his his mind and his physical biology are like not meeting up like he he is uh, he understands that it's not going to happen, but he doesn't want to accept it in a sense. And yeah. I don't know. It, um, I think as a teenager and, and, you know, into my early 20s, I don't know, when you're trying to figure things out with relationships and whatnot, uh, it, it's still a great track, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's that's one of my favorites. But of course, I love this album so much. Um, but uh, anyway, I guess we should talk about what we would skip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what would you skip? It's probably easier for me than it is for you. Um yeah, I would. I would actually skip. This is terrible, but I would skip the title track. You? Oh, really? <laughs> well, yeah, I can see how well, it's intense. Yeah, I mean, it kind of starts out strangely with some weird sounds, mm-hmm. and I get it. I get what's yeah, what what the message is and all that stuff. But, um, and you know, I think it's cool that he ends the album with it. But, um, yeah, I would. I would probably not. I probably wouldn't listen to that. On repeat. Yeah, I think I would skip that. I think it's a good thing that it was placed at the end of the album because yeah. what do you follow that with? Yeah, you know. Um, also, the intro is quite long, and then the outro is quite long in terms of the horrific yeah. sounds. Yeah. So it kind of stands on its own. Yeah, yeah, it's effective. Yeah. In its message. Yeah, yeah. But it wouldn't be like a track I would. Yeah, revisit. that's that's totally fair. Yeah. Um, I have to say, when he does that song live, um, it is very intense. And I've learned not to look at the screen because mm. I don't even want to describe the images. But yeah. as you can imagine, they're pretty brutal. Yeah. So, um, but I still think it's badass that he does it. So um, I would say my my skip would be Well, I Wonder, which is, of course, such a pretty track. Um, it just, for me, is not one of the standouts. But, I mean, that's not to say that I dislike it. It's just yeah. not one of my all-time, all-time faves. So that's yeah. what I would skip. Yeah, I mean, that that track, like, kind of starts out cool, like, has this, like, cool guitar line that's, like, really melodic, and then, um, but it kind of, like, loses me as soon as he starts singing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's kind of dreamy, but, um, uh, I don't know, maybe slightly ill-fitting in the, in the sequence of the album? I don't know. Yeah. Do you find that sometimes his voice can be, a, like, a little Kermit-y? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I, I don't know like if I would. Like on these older tracks, you know. I don't know if I would say that, but I would say that whenever someone says to me, I, I can't listen to Morrissey. I can't listen to Smiths because his voice bothers me. I understand that criticism because it's not for everyone. Right. I mean, um, you know, for me, I used to be a gigantic Rufus Wainwright fan. And when I listen to his voice now, I it's like nails on a chalkboard. Huh. So, you know, I, I, I understand that criticism. It, the vocal delivery is not for everyone. And obviously he's overly dramatic and right. he's, so yeah, I, I understand that, but I don't, I don't get the Kermit thing personally, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. But um, that said, whenever someone does have some sort of criticism about the Smiths or Morrissey, I kind of, I soak it in a little bit and mm-hmm. I, I think I understand it, you know? Yeah. It was also, I feel like when the Smiths were putting out all these, in my view, uh, it, it, remarkable, iconic albums, um, it was so different than what was the mainstream at the time. Um, even though they were being played, I guess, a little bit on alternative radio in the States. Um, and obviously they had a you know bigger career when they were existing in, uh, in Europe, but, um, you know, it didn't really fit in with in excess. Yeah. And, you know, whatever else was being played around that time that was, you know, sure. I even think like a, a band that maybe would be considered their contemporaries, like a, like Depeche Mode. It's really not the same at all, mm-hmm. you know, so they kind of stood out yeah. for better or worse. Yeah. Do you think it's because they came from like England or do you think? I think they stood out because, uh, uh, yeah, uh, at least in the States, uh, because they were they were British, but also because. Morrissey was this enigma. I mean, he still kind of is. Uh, and, you know, the the more the first Smith single uh, was Hand in Glove. And the opening lyric is um, about the sun shining out of his behind. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. So, uh, you know, I think it uh, people didn't know what to make of it, mm. you know, and it was really, really different than than what was out there. Yeah, no, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was thinking maybe we could kind of uh, move along to m- my favorite Morrissey solo album, Vox Hall and I. This is from 94. Um, this is the album actually that has The More You Ignore Me, The Closer I Get, which is um, the the kind of diss track that he wrote about <laughs> Andy and Mike and Johnny <laughs> taking his money. <laughs> From that Smith settlement. settlement. Wow. Yeah. Such a different context than what you would think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that lyric. Um, I bear more grudges than lonely high court judges. <laughs> like he is not thrilled. Yeah. Actually, now that in that context, that lyric makes a lot of sense. I don't but, think I knew that. Yeah. But it's, it was it's an interesting album because he was actually in a relationship during this time. Fi- he finally revealed it when that autobiography came out. He was in a two year relationship. So for the most part, this album is um, there are moments of sweetness uh, in spite of him being always a little bitter because that's mm. just, you know, yeah. how he functions. But um, but there are definitely some moments on this album that I think are are really beautiful. Um Anyway, what was what's your repeat? Well, it would definitely be the more you ignore me. Yeah, even though that's such an obvious kind of pick, mm-hmm. um, I just remember so many nights of like being in New York, like late at night, 
coming home disappointed <laughs> like <laughs> in the rain by wearing high heels uh-huh. and regretting it <laughs> like you know and uh yeah like probably being in love with somebody and not getting the feelings returned mm-hmm. like uh then yeah i would probably be listening to this in my headphones yeah like <laughs> i mean it's kind of a recurring theme in morrissey's lyrics with, mm. you know from early on um, yeah this kind of not being able to get what you want yeah <laughs> you know um yeah. uh which and, is ironic because in real life he insists yes <laughs> he gets whatever he wants yeah or throws a fit right yeah um but i think that's you know this feel this feeling of being a little alien or a little outside of of you know what is culturally accepted is you know that's kind of just i think why he resonates with so many people so many people that consider themselves outside the bubble or weirdos or freaks or whatever term you want to use yeah um you know you're really kind of drawn in you know? yeah because that's a, actually like a universal feeling mm-hmm. even if like you know and so like if you could tap into that you're gonna reach so many more people um i just think like uh yeah i always like even though i really like when he's like cheeky and all that um i i love his darker more cynical mm-hmm. kind of um you know songs as well as like the kind of happy fast-paced like whimsical ones yeah yeah um but uh what was like the one you would skip on this um oh wait did you did you say your repeat i didn't i mean this is kind of another one where i'm just like how do i pick um but i think if i were forced to pick i would i have to at least pick two uh i would pick my heart uh now my heart is full which really breaks me um uh I can't even count how many times that song has really mm. been there for me. And then also the closing track, Speedway, ends with a lyric, uh, in my own strange way, I'll always stay true to you. In my own strange way, uh, I've always been true to you. Mm. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, you don't really know exactly what Morrissey is referencing in the song, um, but it sounds like uh, some sort of of relationship, whether it's romantic or otherwise, that just, um, uh, you know, however uh, bizarre and obtuse Morrissey can be, he was giving his everything into this, uh, into this friendship relationship, whatever. Um, I don't know. It's a very, uh, for some reason that really hits home that the way that album closes, the way that song closes. Um, But then in terms of my skip, um, I think if I were forced to, I would probably uh, get rid of Spring Hill Jim. I think that's more of like a B-side kind of song for me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I chose to skip uh, <laughs> lifeguard sleeping girl drowning. <laughs> Although I think the title is really great. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very Morrissey-esque title, it's right? So Morrissey. <laughs> so, like, I think kudos to the title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, it's kind of weird and creepy in the end and i think his vocals are like um they're actually pretty different yeah on, on that, that track, track they are a little different yeah and and but i i don't know how successful that mm-hmm. was it was but you know it was like him sounding a little bit um more vulnerable in a yeah way. yeah um, i agree uh but yeah i'm skipping <laughs> sorry no that's fair that's fair that would probably be my like 
number two skip if I were to you know pick a second one. You know, one track that um, neither of us discussed, but I do think it's a strong one and a really sweet track um, is the Lazy Sunbathers on this album. Oh, I am yeah. um, really pretty moment, and um, you kind of can visualize it as you hear it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's a pretty song on this album. Uh, but yeah, this is you know this is another tough one for me because this is truly one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, so yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> I know like it got reissued in 2014. It did. Like a 20th year yes. anniversary, but that, does that make this year like the 25th? It, yes. In fact, uh, <laughs> I just saw a, a blog entry somewhere or maybe a news feature saying that it was 25 now. Ugh, yeah. It's crazy. I know. I know. It just goes very quickly. They're all hitting at the same time. Yeah, they so are. funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like... So that was our Smiths, Morrissey, Johnny Marr, Andy Rourke, Mike Joyce, uh, etc. episode. I'm so glad we did that. So glad. Yeah. It was so good. And, uh, you know, it's kind of cool just recapping all of that history. And then, you know, my Morrissey on Broadway show is coming up. So oh I gosh. will definitely be recapping it for the podcast. Uh, um, I'm really looking forward to that's that. That's going to be crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be really fun. You know, I only bought a ticket for one night because as we talked about the fee, the Ticket cost was astronomical, but um, somehow I feel like I'll wind up going to a couple somehow. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to tell me how. <laughs> Marzi on Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad at least that my t- the ticket I currently have is for opening night. So I feel like that's kind of a, you know, that's nice. Yeah. And then I could kind of, you know, see how the other shows compare. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But the first night's always like a good one to go to. Yeah, particularly this is such a um a big deal. Yeah. So uh it'll be very interesting to see what he does and um yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I can't imagine like a playbill with Morrissey's face on it. Like from oh a gosh. you know, like a Broadway playbill. Yeah. So that'll be kinda cool. I don't think he's the type who's gonna be signing autographs at, at the stage door. That's not happening. He's gonna be gone. <laughs> I would No, there's no way that's that. happening. No. Has he ever done that? No. You know, typically what happens at a Morrissey show is he will play whatever the last song is, run off stage, and then the band is still finishing the track. Meanwhile, he is already in the... By the time the show properly ends, he's in the car back to the hotel. So I think that's exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. So Total rock star move. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for, uh, for uh, embracing our fandom. Yes. <laughs> And uh, we'll catch you next time on Mixtape Memories. Bye. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 